Hello everyone and welcome to the 11th episode of Encrypted. This is a weekly dedicated podcast to crypto and blockchain. And today I'm joined by my co-host Faisal. Hey guys. And also we have a very special guest, Irina Hiva. Say hello. Hi everyone. Awesome. Um, could you introduce yourself quickly? Right, so I'm a technology lawyer based in Dubai. I've been in Dubai for over 10 years now, so this is my home. And I'm rather active in the blockchain and crypto space, and I guess that's why I'm here today. Great. Great to have you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so as usual, we'll be going through really interesting news articles and um, news that's been happening in the past week. Um, so the first news article that we have, and this will be an interesting one, is from Hack.com. The flippening XRP overtakes Ethereum as second largest cryptocurrency. The reason why this is very significant is because XRP, which is the cryptocurrency of this um, blockchain company called Ripple, or they like to be called a software company, uh, they have overtaken Ethereum and the coin market cap as their price just rapidly soared on Friday, I think by 80%. And so this has just sort of shocked everyone, but then by the weekend, Ethereum also pumped a bit and took second place again. And so basically this is because of the launch that was um, that was stated by one of the Ripple heads um, who said that XRapid, which is one of the products of Ripple, saying that the XRapid product will be launching next month or so. And this product will be using XRP. And he actually said that a couple of dozens of banks will be live with the system by the end of the year. So that was another... Yeah. I think, yeah, end of this year or somewhere between next year, something like that. Yeah. And so it's funny, right? Because then you have this cryptocurrency, which is centrally controlled. And also, you know, the, everyone knew about XRapid. Well, it's been on the Ripple, it's been on Ripple's website already, but then it kind of, they kind of said it's going to come out. And then everyone's kind of freaked over it and sort of bought the news. <laughs> well, um, on the list of things I don't care about, <laughs> Ripple and their coin actually takes, you know, the top, three probably uh, <laughs> spots, <laughs> and I, I had specific instructions not to curse, otherwise I would have had a, pre- a curse, a precursor for the coin. So yes, absolutely, it doesn't matter. Um, on a grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter whether Ripple goes to zero, I hope they do, or they go to 100, I really don't care if they do, it doesn't matter. Um, they're centralized. I mean, they call themselves blockchain, but okay, fine, we'll address it separately. They're centralized uh, chain. They are for banks, by banks, pro banks, and that is not what cryptocurrency was meant to be. And this is not what we need nowadays. We need decentralization. We need to give power to the people. We need to economically relieve people from the burdens that they're currently facing. Is Ripple going to be that? Absolutely not. So, again, on a list of things I don't care about, Ripple is absolutely up there. Okay, so I, I, I really like what, what you said, particularly in um, saying that we need decentralization now. So, I mean, why do you think we need decentralization now? Because for, for us to get to that point, wouldn't there need to be sort of, it's like a, a process, right? So we need to go a bit centralized. We need to take away centralization slowly and get people familiar with the concept. 
I think um, before we talk about decentralization, let's just briefly uh, discuss how did we all get centralized. Think, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, and you're uh, a tribe um, and you need that in order to, if I want to sell you my goat and you want to sell and you want to give me the money, which is fantastic if we're standing next to each other at the market, but if you're far away and I need to send you the goat with, uh, with a, I don't know, goat delivery person, um, I can't just trust you with my assets, I can't trust you with my money, so an elderly person in the tribe would be that trusted authority that we'll go to and we'll say, okay, you hold my money, here's my goat, okay, you now facilitate the transaction. Then scroll down uh, hundreds and hundreds of years, those trusted individuals in our tribes or in our cities, in our communities got replaced by trusted institutions. And we're talking about lawyers, we're talking about bankers, we're talking about auditors, accountants, etc., etc., etc. And these institutions became really big. Um, look at the law firms, the global power business. Look at banks, central banks were created. Look at accounting firms. Then internet era came, technology came, and this central trusted and authorized third parties were able to scale. The technology allowed them to scale and technology allowed them to become really, really big and really, really powerful. And they use their centralized servers, they use their own centralized databases to hold all your data, all your transactions, all information about you. And those centralized uh, data, um, the collection of data always is attracted by hackers. Attract, uh, you know, how many how many uh, hacking scandals have we seen? Also, then what happened later after the dot com bubble? Huge technology, huge technology companies such as Facebook and Google and uh, what else do we have there? Help me out. YouTube, Microsoft, Microsoft exactly. They emerged, but they're still centralized databases. Just look back what happened a few months ago when we realized what Facebook was using our data for. And look what happened in the U.S. elections. There are a lot of allegations that Russians hacked the U.S. elections. And how did they do that? They just used Facebook to advertise. So is that really hacking? I don't think it's hacking. I mean, Facebook is there, right? So what has happened is centralized, trusted authority just got out of control. They used the, our data against us. They used their power against us. The same happened with governments. There are a lot of governments nowadays, in this day and age, which are using their power and their authority against their own people to depress, to suppress them. So why do we need decentralization? I think it's kind of a rather obvious um, answer. I want to get away from the current um, the current state where we have too uh, few people have control over everyone. So yeah, the eighty twenty rule basically. I don't think it's eighty twenty. I think it's, it's more. one to ninety nine, <laughs> maybe even less than one. Yeah. Is that is that good for the general prosperity? Of course not. Can decentralization help us? Well, that's the promise, that's the ideal sort of utopia that blockchain and decentralization sort of promises us. 
Is a dystopian version of decentralization on the cards? Absolutely. At the end of the day, it's just a technology, and you can use this technology for good or for evil. And I still have faith in the humanity, and I still believe that this technology can be used for good. Yeah, I mean, the only point that I would... Uh, I mean, I completely agree with you. I mean, the way you put it, I cannot add on top of that. But what I'm saying is, maybe coming back to Ahmed's point, is that we are in this state currently, being, like you said, being centralized in certain areas, being these companies that control majority of our transactions, they have shares in our data, they actually make money out of our data, and so on. But in order to reach to the decentralized state, what would be the best approach to do that? Do you think that we can go all in? Because as human nature, I mean, most people will not like change as, as, as their nature. Sometimes you feel like he, there is a need for something that you didn't know you want. And in order to get to that stage, don't you think that we need to go through some you know, intermediate states? No, of course. I'm not saying let's just burn our <laughs> let's burn our laptops and uh, <laughs> well, that's <laughs> what it sounded like. Yeah, let's ago. replace everything by Bitcoin and run around without clothes and be free and and, and lib liberated. No, of course I think I'm you not could do that in that. Burning Man. Um, no, I do not see myself uh, attending Burning Man at all. I've been in Dubai for ten years. I'm an absolute spoiled Dubai brat. If it's in five star hotel, thank you very much. I'm not interested. So what's um, I mean, just look at every technology. Look at, look at uh, internet. Was my mom jumping on the internet and using it? Of course not. But were was I and my and my peers? Of course. Did we completely abandon writing letters? Of course not. We would still write letters to our grandmother because she would not have an email address. But to each other, we would write only emails. When WhatsApp came about, would I abandon emails right away and start sending WhatsApp to everyone? No, of course not. I would still send an email to my mom or a text message to my mom and then I taught her how to use WhatsApp. So of course, there is a huge generational gap, but not only generational gap, there's a mentality gap as well yeah. because there are some uh, some people who are of my uh, parents generation and they're all in on crypto and there are some kids uh, that I would expect to be all in on blockchain and crypto they absolutely reject it so I think it's more of a, a mentality gap rather than a generational gap so I think quite for quite a while these two systems will coexist mm -hmm. and develop and move you know, d developments will be will be happening in, in, in one space and in another space, and eventually one of them will die out like a natural death. Sure. Oh, I hope it will be a, a natural death. I hope there will not be like sort of a dystopic um, element to it or a revolutionary element to that because that's something I'm 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 a pacifist so let's just make a <laughs> peaceful trans tran yeah. uh, uh, transaction they will coexist for sure and and that's okay that's fine that's absolutely fine and i'm not saying what i i'm not saying my way is right and that way is wrong i'm not saying yeah, that of course, of course. i'm a, i'm a corporate lawyer i've spent 17 years being a lawyer so 
I'm not saying let's burn down the oil fields and let's tokenize everything and live off tokens. Of course yeah. not. That yeah. is yeah. not physically not possible. I still need petrol in my huge four-wheel drive. Why do I drive a huge four-wheel drive? Because our Dubai roads are not very suitable for tiny little electric cars. The same thing happened in um, in in uh, early days of an electric oh sorry not not electric oh um, early days of a of a car of a of a internal combustion engine there were roads or there were paths which were very suitable for horses, horses but these roads and paths were not suitable for cars so if you're driving that car back in the day when 200 years ago and you'll be getting stuck in in the in, in on those roads because they're just not suitable for you everybody thought that you're not a very smart person. What's wrong with you? You should be riding a horse because that's the only thing that makes sense to ride a horse. Yeah. In that environment. In yeah. that environment and based on that infrastructure. Yeah. So right now, crypto and blockchain are fantastic, but we just don't have the infrastructure. We don't have enough of the infrastructure. We don't have enough of the environment. So I really hope that in five years' time, so if you see a guy riding a horse now on Sheikh Zayed Road, wouldn't you look at him and say, what's wrong with you? This is a little I'll bit weird. I'll join him, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a little bit weird, yeah, right? Yeah. That's a little bit strange, really out of place. So I really hope that in 10 years' time, we see a guy with a uh, fiat, cash, sort of banknotes, and they'll be like, did you rob a museum? Why do you have that? Or did you inherit it from your yeah. grandmother? So... I think this is what's going to happen. Maybe not in 10 years' time. Maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic. Maybe in you know, 15. At least I hope in my... Uh... But don't you think that Ripple, you know, being top three for now is helping to pave that forward? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, as you can see, but, but the reason why we sort of picked this out is because it really shows how immature the market is, mm. and particularly from a point where people already knew this product was going to be there. It just, you know, had one press release saying it's going to be out and then everyone in a way freaked I mean, over it. I mean, if I can add here, the market is working purely speculative. Yeah, I mean, whatever, whenever a company announces something and there are multiple coins which I don't even want to mention, uh, one of them being very active in marketing, and they're, they're just purely playing on speculations. They announce something, a pump happens, it dies out, and that's it. So I think what we need to really establish is how, how correlated is the market of whatever is happening in the industry? I mean, the price of XRP can go up and down all day long, but what is Ripple actually putting or um, kind of... What value are they creating? What right? value are they creating in this domain? I have no idea. Yeah, you also don't agree on the value I, I, that they're no, creating. No, I have no idea what value they're creating. I have never spent... Uh, I have never spent... Bothered to spend my precious time to understand uh, in details and read their press releases. I am technologically sort of, I have the technological knowledge to understand how it's all structured, so that was enough for me. So I look at the tech. I look at the the tech. I look what is behind. I don't need to read their propaganda press releases. And there are a lot of coins out there. There are a lot of... There are a lot of, you know, like you mentioned, there are a lot of coins out there pushing the propaganda press releases, but you have to really use your brain. You really have to analyze. And hey, there's nothing wrong with those who jump on the bandwagon and make a few bucks. Okay, fine. If that's your thing, that's okay. I would not be supporting, uh, I would not be supporting such, such, such action. And also, let's us not be blind to the fact that 
many coins or many companies are also playing big part in pumping their own coin. Yeah. So let's yeah. not be blind to that fact. I'm not saying Ripple are doing that, but it has been um, a documented fact that others are doing it and other, many others got caught doing it. And hopefully regulators will bring um, action against those uh, companies and those um, individuals who are involved. So, so talking about value, um, and let's say like now, now going to the actual use cases um, of blockchain, but this time sort of not just use cases for business, but use cases that benefit humanity. And uh, an article from Coindesk.com um, says that Palestinians are using Bitcoin to transact cross borders amid conflict. And this is, again, really interesting because it's just another use case of Bitcoin. It's kind of a recurring theme of really helping people in countries which either have high inflation or they don't have you know, good financial infrastructure. And so they use um, you know, other currencies and now typically cryptocurrencies to actually exchange and go about their lives. So you know, is, is Bitcoin a savior in this? I absolutely, I absolutely love that article and I shared with my networks. So the thing that I liked about that, I loved about that, is that economically depressed and economically excluded, unbanked, forgotten by the rest of the world people are being helped by crypto. They are transacting internationally using crypto. They're being paid from their overseas employers by crypto. Is that how is that how is this not benefiting people who absolutely have no access to the banking infrastructure? How is that not a good thing? I hear a lot of people bashing Bitcoin, which is fine. I'm not saying Bitcoin is the one and only, and I'm also not saying Bitcoin will be the coin that will survive the turbulations that are yet to come, but. This is an obvious um, use case. This is an obvious. This is this is exactly what crypto is for, to avoid censorship, and Palestinians, out of all people, and we in this part of the world, all well too familiar with the conditions that that nation is living under, and they are uh, Palestinians, out of all people, require that censorship resistance in order to just maintain some sort of standard of living or, you know, carry out some sort of, uh, you know, humane living. So I think this is, this is a good thing. How's yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this is such a beautiful piece of article. And like you said, um, we're not saying like this is, Bitcoin is the savior of the century or anything of that sort, but look at what it's doing to a segment of people who, who never had any other way of doing such things. So now they're actually putting their money to good use. They're purchasing, they're investing. They're actually, you know, they're kind of creating beautiful things for the future. And this is what the technology yeah, allows It's enabling today. them, essentially. Yeah, it's enabling them. And another yeah. thing which I think we don't realize, um, all of us here in Dubai, or our, our friends, our colleagues, we are not the unbanked ones. We have our yep. credit cards, we have our debit cards, we have access to checkbooks, and I get 600 calls a week from my bank offering me all sorts of loans. 
we don't understand what it means having no access to the international commerce. Yes. We don't no, even understand what it means. We don't even true. We don't even understand what it means not to have that debit card in my pocket mm-hmm. to pull it out and pay for this coffee that I just yeah. bought. We we just don't understand what it means not being able to participate in economy, not being able yeah. to sell your skills or sell your goods or purchase goods for your children, for your family, for your house. We have no understanding. Mm-hmm. I can only, you know, I, I, visited, um, I visited some of the refugee camps. I, I couldn't sleep for months after that. And that was, and those were good ones. There were good mm-hmm. ones in, in in Europe, in European country, and they were supported by Red Cross and Red Crescent, etc., etc., etc. I think we're just so sheltered in our lives. We just really don't understand that in some countries, you know, take um, what is this Venezuela? Uh, yeah. Take countries like Venezuela. The land issue. Take uh, take Zimbabwe other, as well. Zimbabwe. Take other countries where. Um, where we have not so, you know, not so pro-people government and not so pro-people policies, they're the ones who need this most. Yeah, I, so I think what's really interesting about Palestine is that, so to, to make a quick comparison between sort of Venezuela and Palestine, it looks, so in Venezuela you have just hyperinflation, right? So people typically would hold US dollars or Bitcoin now and probably other cryptos just to hodl, just so mm-hmm. that, you know, they could actually save this money. Um, for future use, but in Palestine, they're actually using it on a day-to-day basis. Because um, in a way, they have nothing else. So in a way, it's not really holding, no. right? It's actually no. They're actually ma- using Bitcoin to make okay. facilitate transactions. And this is what um, this is what it is. It's peer to peer system, right? Sure. So they are out of all people, they're practicing it more <laughs> than, yeah. Yeah. than uh, But then what, what about the on-ramp and off-ramp? And what I mean by this is, for example, um, basically using, you know, money, fiat, fiat money to buy cryptocurrency and then selling yeah. it as well. Because obviously in, in places like Palestine, there would be no sort of infrastructure. I mean, uh, here we rarely have an exchange that would get a bank account. Like imagine Palestine, right? So, so I feel like especially in this article lays out that there are some challenges. So you have, you know, the friction layers um, where there are, you know, people will, uh, there'll be upcharge opportunities that will be existing. And so the people at the lower end will not get, you know, the best of prices. But, but the article does say that there's about like 20 unofficial, quote unquote, exchanges, mm. like offices. So maybe it's not in a sense of um, a smart platform kind of thing that's on your mobile or something. But yeah. It could be something physical where you, just go in and some tech guy will do the, the thing for you and then that's it. Now, again, coming back to the to your question, I mean, how does it work on ground? Maybe there, there are no enough details here, but the good thing is that it's doing something positive. It's creating impact. It's, um, I mean, like you mentioned, a lot of the things that we do in daily life, we, we've reached to a point like this is taken for granted. Absolutely. We never even think about it. But in these countries and these, uh, with these people, I mean, I cannot imagine waking up one day having my land being, I mean, changed. To, the, the title deed was changed to the government because it was simply changed. You don't own that, that land. And this is actually uh, a case that's happening in uh, South America, where when the government changes, 
in one country that I don't remember, in if the government changes, they seize all the land. They seize all the land. That's crazy. So there is no longer ownership. And this is happening all the time. This is happening with all sorts of assets. Uh, gov uh, many governments across the world are very well known for confiscating private property as well as um, company-owned property. It happens with oil fields. It happens with mining operations. It also happens with personal uh, title deeds to, to lend. And all, uh, countries invade other countries and take away their people, take away their land, take away, you know, look at what's happening in some um, African countries. Uh, guerrilla fighters come in and take away 300 girls and then we look for them for, for, um, for years. So this sort of situations, conflict is inherent to human nature and people fight for assets. And that's a good thing. And, and people get corrupted as well because how can I just run around and take away people's land if I, haven't if I don't have a corrupted government behind me or if I don't have a corrupted official behind me? The beauty about crypto, you cannot corrupt mathematical code. You, it just works. Yeah, and especially one that is distributed and not centralized. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't even think about distributed ones. That's I don't know what that, that is. That's an Excel spreadsheet. I can sell them some <laughs> Excel spreadsheet if they want. Um, so you cannot crap mathematical code. And if you destroy some of the databases, they're still available. They're still out there. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine... So we're located in the Middle East, um, and a region which is unfortunately known for conflicts, armed conflicts, etc. So imagine being a refugee running away from conflict, running away with a string of numbers, either memorized or written down, and a string of numbers is a private, is a private key to a wallet that holds your identity documents, that holds your family identity documents, title to your family house, title to your family land, title to your family farm, uh, copies of your educational certificate. So imagine how much easier it would be to get access to everything that you own and everything that you are if that is digitized and safely encrypted on blockchain. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think this feature of having sort of complete ownership and control is is something that we've never had in, in the history of I think mankind because there's always that there'll always be that overarching ever present sort of entity or corporation that will you know be in control of something and that can actually confiscate something eventually and um, it's it's something that although I think there are technical limitations to maybe somebody trying to remember their private key and if they forget it there's no recourse to that but uh, there are technical implementations trying to solve it. So yeah, again, um, this is again how the technology is designed today. So and you have a couple of um, global firms uh, specializing in design, like IDEO, for example, looking at a couple of challenges when it comes to um, the problems about remembering your private key and how to design an interface for exchanges and so on. So once these efforts streamline and we see. Um, kind of production level systems out there, the, I'm sure that uh, the adoption will increase as well and the technology will prosper. Agreed. Um, Irina, just quickly go back to the, the project you mentioned, um, the one that which is helping refugees. Could you quickly elaborate a bit more on that? <clears throat> yes, um, absolutely. I'm very, very lucky to be involved 
in a company as a, as a board member called AIR, so it's A-I-A-R, as in artificial intelligence, artificial reality. And what the company is doing is democratizing education and bringing it to 2.5 billion underserved children and adults around the world. If you combine AI to bring courses that are relevant to you personally, courses that educate you in a way that you prefer to get educated as opposed to you know, a standardized school system, and then you add crypto to that as a gamification factor to remunerate you for successfully completing courses, for achieving certain milestones, for referring your friends, etc., etc. And then you store the certificate that you receive using the system uh, or educating yourself. You store the certificate on a blockchain, which actually verifies your the fact that, yes, in fact, that was you who completed the education, and yes, in fact, you gain this certification. So what this whole system does is educating, uh, is providing access to education to people who otherwise have no access to education. We're living in Dubai, we're pretty lucky, we consider education a right, not an honor, but there are lots of people around the world who don't have such a, um, unrestricted access to educational institutions. This is what this company aims to do. It aims to democratize access to education. That's really great to hear. And what's the progress now? Are refugees using this? Um, are there so employ employers coming in and actually you know, hiring these refugees? So the technology is being completed at the moment. We have a lot of interest from family offices, those who have charitable com component to their investment strategies. But I want to stress out that this is not a charity. This is an impact business meaning you invest in tech ed, which will impact 2.5 billion lives and will bring education to 2.4 or 5 billion people across the world. So you're actually making money while doing something really good for the humanity. Awesome. So before we wrap up, there are two quick things that we wanted to touch on. First, the first thing is, Irina, you pulled like an... an like this very crazy stat about women in blockchain. Um, I know it was something that, you know, you're still trying to find the actual source to, but th this yeah. is a really big topic. So, yes, that's uh, part of my uh, being um, a very loud advocate for women in leadership and trying my best to motivate and encourage uh, women to get out there and become visible and get active. I was uh, talking to a friend who's based in the U.S., and she mentioned something absolutely crazy. I just could not believe it. According to her, apparently, out of all the people who are involved in blockchain as an industry, only 0.6% are women. And I'm yet trying to uh, source that report, so I'll make, it, um, I'll make it accessible to everybody. But, I mean, that's just appalling. But why does that happen, right? Why such horrendous numbers? So first of all, I think there is a historical exclusion of women in technology space. Women founders raise less money than male founders. Women hold only 11% of executive positions in Silicon Valley. There is, of course, a payment gap between men and women who do the same job. 
And crypto was supposed to democratize things, right? Crypto was supposed to bring prosperity and wealth to everyone or access and inclusion to everyone. But crypto is actually only widening the wealth gap and the tech gap. According to some research, out of all holders that hold crypto or have wallets, only 7% of those are women. And of course, I'm, I'm personally very unhappy with the current state of affairs. And in order to, and, but I'm not sitting and, and, and whinging about it. I'm, I'm doing something about it. I'm running events for women specifically, teaching them how to set up a wallet, how to write down its private key, how to take a position in crypto. And, I mean, taking a position in crypto requires you holding a crypto wallet. That's just yeah. step number one. Of course, you can trust the uh, exchanges, but I would absolutely not do that. And second of, of, uh, secondly, I encourage them to participate in the community, actively increase knowledge, actively seek out knowledge, and actively build up a reputation as somebody who's interested or active, or somebody who's involved or interested in this um, in this technology and in this space. And that gives you that invaluable career progression whether you want to be in that space or not, that, that it's up to you, but it's nice to have options. And you might ask, you know, why, does, why do we need women in blockchain? Why do we need women in crypto? You know, men seem to be doing a good job already, <laughs> as it is, you know, why bother? Future of crypto depends on having women on board. You cannot have a system an active, valid system that excludes 50% of the population. You just simply cannot. And it has been... And, and blockchain industry as a whole needs women, for sure. It has been proven over and over again, uh, multiple sources and resources that companies with diverse management ecosystems, with diverse management teams, sorry, ecosystems with diverse participants and diverse in terms of gender, in terms of background, in terms of nationality, in terms of languages, in terms of race, those, those ecosystems and those companies deliver better results for their shareholders. There's yeah. absolutely no arguing against and that. For a and for a technology that seeks to democratize centralized institutions and basically... Um, people who control too much power, then it should at least try and democratize sort of gender equality. And, and, and absolutely, and, and of course without generalizing, but I am going to generalize a little bit, women are typically much better communicators, <coughs> women are typically much better community builders, women are uh, uh, um, typically much better storytellers. So to those founders in blockchain uh, companies, so who are standing on there on the stage and sweating and can't really communicate what on earth is their technology supposed to do. Dude, like if you can't communicate what technology can do, how can you build a community around it? But how can do you, you think build a community who adopts your technology? Do, do you think then it's um, maybe they might actually be happy with finding you know somebody to, to lead that community front for their project, particularly... Um, hiring a lady or, or something, but maybe is it, do you think it's the fact that there's not many women interested in sort of the blockchain industry? 
at least from your interactions, do you see a lot of large like? I see a lot of interest from women. And what were the current challenges lo- for from them now? But I see a lot of hesitation. Why? There is a really big bro culture in this industry. Uh, I, I, I go to mm-hmm. blockchain events, I go to crypto events, and I'm one of the very few women. And the benefit is that there is no line outside of the ladies' restrooms, which is excellent. <laughs> but then it's very sad at the same time because I'm, there, yeah. because I'm one of three women at the event with uh, hundreds of people. Or I'm one of the female speaker amongst uh, you know dozens of male speakers. I mean, that's bad. That's really bad. And another thing, I'm, I'm quite an assertive individual to start with. Uh, and then when somebody, when I get hustled at those events, and I do get hustled, I do get bothered, and I detest that. I'm a professional. I came here to speak or to represent a company. I don't need, hey, sweetie, how are you? I don't need this. So, and I get a lot of that. And so imagine if you're a less assertive individual. Uh, imagine you're a, a younger woman, a younger professional woman. I mean, how unappealing is that to be at a professional event and to be hustled? And that's happening here in Dubai. Imagine what's happening in other countries which ha- have more liberal... I mean, here in Dubai, it's quite strict. Um, men don't bother women, don't harass women. This is, you know, the, the, the system here is quite strict. And imagine, imagine being in other countries where, where it's a common place and you're one of the very few women in a conference. I mean, that's just really not nice. But the good thing is that the more of us, the better things become, right? The more of us... The more of women gather together, encourage each other, promote each other, support each other, the better things will become. I just need that tipping point, and I'm working really hard on it. Um, Things are getting better, definitely. We'll we'll support you. Thank you so much. I know you would. And there are a lot of male advocates who are promoting women, who are encouraging women to get on board, which is great. This is what we need. We can't have... We can't advocate for women's inclusion without men being at the table yeah, this true, is this true. is a this is a, this is we are all in it together i was in china two weeks ago and for for slush so this is a really big um tech conference which actually originated from uh helsinki i believe in finland and then it's got a really big chapter in shanghai and it does one every year and i think and the slush just recently they actually had a um, woman in in tech sort of panel where they actually invited the ladies who are actually pioneering blockchain in Shanghai for a panel. So the, the conversation is happening, I think, and it's it's really good that you know people like you and people like there as well are you know, so doing things. Absolutely, encourage your next time there is an event, bring in your female colleague with you. Next time there is a um, there is an, a, there is a great article, share it with a, with your sister, share it with your mother, share it with yeah. your female neighbor. I mean, we're all in it together, and crypto and blockchain needs women, for sure. Without women, it has no chance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we completely agree with you there, and, and we have, like, another chance to... Because if build. you don't, I'll have to beat you up, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's not shown whenever you're here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's No, what I, I was saying is that we have another chance to build an ecosystem, taken into consideration building it in a way not to have a gap exactly five yeah. ten years down the line you know 
So we need to start making real efforts from day one, which I believe is today, to actually avoid such gaps in the future. And uh, as, um, as you may aware, I'm one of the co-founding board members of MENA Fintech Association. We have 12 tracks, and one of them is specifically dedicated to women in technology. Another one is specifically dedicated to diversity, inclusion, and talent. Because women is only one element. There's another element. Um, nationalities, races, diverse backgrounds, diverse thinking. We all need that. Our ecosystem needs that. We need more ideas, fresh ideas coming from any angle we can grab it. Great to hear. Um, we'll, we'll, get, um, we'll make sure to put the Mina um, Fintech Association contact details on, on the episode. Please. And, and you run a, a WhatsApp group dedicated to fintech. Yes. Invite more female I w- fintech I want uh, to. I want founders. <laughs> you could well, you're you're the one who's pushing the agenda. You could pass them on to me, and I could add them onto the group. Absolutely, absolutely. More <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. But every every little bit counts, and every little bit uh, helps. And um, now that the event season is starting, we will have more events specifically dedicated yeah. to women. So I would absolutely love to invite you both and right. show those newcomers how to use a wallet show those newcomers how to send uh, a few satoshis to each other so that's the practical so theoretical knowledge is excellent but the practical knowledge is what will need and it will stay absolutely and dr aisha uh, is doing an amazing job being a female role model for a lot of women like myself um, who is Dr. Aisha for those who don't know? Yeah, so Dr. Aisha is the Director General of Smart Dubai, just for those of you who don't relate. Yeah, Yeah. so and being a, 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 whim, a woman leader, being um, in technology space, leading Smart Dubai, just, just being herself and doing what she does every day encourages younger women, encourages girls... Hey, if she can do that, I can do that too. And this is what we need more. We need more role models, female role models in key government positions. And this is where I think Dubai government is doing an amazing job. We have women who are judges. In the UAE government, we have ministers. ministers. And I think um, UAE, please correct me if I'm wrong, but UAE has the highest number of women in government ministerial jobs. In the cabinet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in the cabinet, yes. And so actually the leadership is also pushing it more absolutely. and more. I mean, uh, Sheikh Mohammed announced uh, last year, I guess, that the percentage of women in the in his cabinet was, was it like 25 or 50? <clears throat> and he was saying, like, we want even to enlarge that number to be 75. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of efforts are being done. And, and, and this is absolutely, um, this, is, this is fantastic. And uh, Dubai government, the UAE government, and the leadership of the UAE deserves applause from around the world. And I look at 
you know, I look at my own country, Australia, we're not doing as great as we should be, but, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm an adopted child of the UAE. UAE is my home country, and I'm very, very proud of my, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my uh, host, uh, host government and my host country for the amazing efforts that they are doing in promoting women in leadership and women in government, which is just fantastic. Great. From, from our side, we are more than happy to be of any support and I guess we need yeah. to bring more women into the show as well. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we will, we will. I guess this is like, this is just the, the start for sure. Yeah. yeah, I beat them up in the, in the, in the coffee break so now they're going to have more women. You see, that's what it takes, muscle. <laughs> and one, one last thing before we um, wrap up. So um, do you want to go ahead, face on and yeah. tell I everybody mean, what happened of this morning? Smart Dubai and yeah. Dr. Aisha. So today was the official launch of um, one of the platforms that Smart Dubai was building. And this is basically an upgrade for their uh, payment platform, which is Dubai Pay. Uh, and they launched the Payment Reconciliation and Settlement Project, which is basically built on top of blockchain. So, and uh, there are multiple entities involved. Um, Department of Finance, uh, DWA, and the KHDA, which is the Knowledge and Human Development uh, Authority. Uh, these are the, uh, the the first entities on board. And basically, um, the the great achievement out of this implementation is that the the process that used to take up to 45 days to reconcile financial transactions and financial ledgers between different entities and, and this government is, payments. So this is a government-to-bank and government-to-government. Yeah, right? I mean, there are, there are banks involved in the network, there are government entities and so on. Mm. So what, what used to take uh, around 45 days to settle now is being done instantaneously because, I mean, thank, thanks to how, how it's implemented on blockchain. Um, so the official announcement was today. Uh, yeah, I saw they had a really big cake. <clears throat> yes. Uh, did you had? Did you have some? <laughs> <laughs> some. Yeah. Oh, it yeah. was really good. <laughs> so uh, he, uh, Her Excellency Dr. Aisha was there. His Excellency Sayyid Taya from Diwa was there. Um, His Excellency Abdurrahman Al Saleh was there as well from DOF. And um, it, it was it was really a successful launch. Uh, the the gains were were really shown in numbers, uh, like the number of transactions being recorded, the, the number of um, the amount of money being settled mm. through that uh, uh, that platform was also being showcased. And now the next steps would be to onboard more government entities yeah. into this. And I believe, um, as per the um, the announcement there, that this is actually the first government project of that uh, focusing on that d domain of like payment and reconciliation and so on so it's also yeah. a great success for smart dubai it, it, and the government of dubai it, it looks like that i think it's it's also one of the first projects that's gone from proof of concept to live production exactly okay yeah. i mean that that was uh, one of the uh, the challenges that started from uh, dubai future accelerators program all right, no, that's really awesome to hear. Hopefully, we'd see more and more projects going live. Irina, how could people get in contact with you? It's very easy. Uh, go on LinkedIn, put in Irina, which is I-R-I-N-A, and my last name, Hever, H-E-A-V-E-R. Send me a message, and you'll find me there. Yeah, awesome. I'm quite an active person on LinkedIn. She you'd, is. Um, you'd 
you'd have to really work hard to miss me. <laughs> and if you, so definitely reach out to Irina if you have, you know, if you object to any of her opinions, particularly about Ripple, just feel free. We like to see, <laughs> you, we like to see any sort of LinkedIn battle about Ripple, Absolutely. so go for it. Or if you want to just to create a wallet. Right, or if you just want to create a wallet as well. Or if you want to talk about getting involved in Mina Fintech Association, get involved in our efforts with AIR, or if you want to just uh, talk about being a woman in blockchain. That's cool, great. awesome. Great. Um, and as always, you could find us on Encrypted, on Twitter and Instagram. We just created a LinkedIn page as well, so um, give us a follow. And please do not forget to um, subscribe to the podcast and rate and review this episode. We really love your reviews and we depend on them. And if you like this episode, tell a friend and share it with them. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Encrypted. We hope you've enjoyed it. We are on a mission of making blockchain an inspiring reality. So we thank you for supporting us on this journey. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help the show a lot. Thanks for joining us.